Jazz, along with conference mates Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. We have taken a week uh, from last, and uh, there's been some reshuffling in the landscape of college football. Before we get into that, guys, how are we doing? I'm good, guys. Had a good 4th of July. Got to go back down to East Texas for a few days and see some old friends and play a lot of golf and eat some really good food. Um, it was nice to get back down to, to Tyler, a place I grew up and you know lived there for 20 years. So good to kind of check out the hometown and see some good friends. So had a good time. Didn't want to come back. Guys, I'll tell you, I love the 4th of July. It's my favorite holiday. But I just want to give a shout out to my neighbors who are still shooting off fireworks like 1130 last night. Like, I hate you. I'm just like, we've had four days of this. We can move on. It's a work day. But yeah, nonetheless, still heard sparklers. And all, in, all in favor of July 4th being a permanent holiday on a Monday. Have a nice three-day yeah. weekend. I think that's fantastic. So, Adam, how was your 4th of July, man? It was good. Just spending time with family. I was kind of surprised at how many fireworks shows were on the actual 4th of July. I would have thought a lot more would have been on Saturday or Sunday considering, you know, the late night and everything, but mm-hmm. most people were sticking to the original day. But yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, three day holiday, not, not a bad, not a bad setup. So we went, um, I think we saw, we saw fireworks Saturday and Sunday when, and then we didn't even do anything last night. So Corbin, I know keeping an eye on your store, you guys had a jam packed weekend full of stuff. Yeah, uh, fireworks Friday night, um, pretty good show. We attempted to go see a drone show on Sunday night. Didn't make it to the drones. Saw video of the drones later. Glad I didn't make it to the drones. Um, but with all the fire danger and stuff out here, like there are some cities that just don't do fireworks anymore. So drone shows are in. So they're disappointing. They're not cool. I only saw a video of it. Maybe it was better in person, but of what I saw, I'm glad that I didn't stay the whole time. Huh? That's all okay. I'm going to say. No, I mean, no disrespect to Castle Pines, Colorado. It just <laughs> it sounds like it would be cool. Maybe in time it'll it'll get to be it's a good idea. Neat. If, if yeah. you're going to do a drone drone show, I like I need like ten thousand drones. Like I need to be like really impressed. Yeah. Like, give me some stuff Absolutely. I've never seen before. You know. Yeah. Let's get the military so, involved. That's right. So from something that sounds like a good idea to college football expanding again, since we last met, USC and UCLA have joined the Big Ten. I assume Lincoln Riley is going with them. We'll see if he's still the coach at USC by then. <laughs> it's it's a weird week, another weird week in college football where you just feel like, man, this is not the sport that we grew up you know, following as, as young kids, and especially not for generations older than us. And it feels even more and more like, wow, just money runs everything. It's a rudderless ship, college football. No one's in charge. Everyone's out to get their money. And I I don't blame USC and UCLA for doing it, just like I don't blame OU and Texas for moving to the SEC a year ago. But it really is changing the foundation of the sport. And to me, I I think that's kind of sad. I I think that's the general consensus I'm hearing from a lot of people. But where do you guys fall as far as the direction of college football and whether you're excited for it? I'm actually pretty open to it. I don't know about you, Tyler, but one thing I think I've learned since the shakeup of the what we knew of the Big 12 kind of growing up is that everything kind of lands on its feet. I don't think we miss the old Big 12. I don't think we miss A&M, Colorado, and uh, Nebraska, Missouri being in the Big 12. I think it kind of just played out the way it was supposed to, and you get used to the new norm. I don't see – this is a bit different, like seeing UCLA and USC going to play Ohio State and Michigan, that – that's that's stranger than I think I probably ever could imagine. But guys, I think this this stuff kind of just shuffles out the way it's supposed to. Yeah, change is not always good. Um, I think that we're kind of early in the stage, Adam, as far as you know, being able to forecast how this is going to play out. Um, I know that from a fan perspective, um, it's got to be very very tough for a lot of those fan bases in Big Ten country. Adding two teams from the West Coast doesn't necessarily. Uh, play too much of a factor for the fan bases of UCLA and USC because we all know that the the care level is much, much lower at those two fan bases compared to the Big Ten and the SEC fan bases that we're a part of now. Uh, but it, it's I, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I think that if there's one thing that we've seen over the last you know 18 months, starting out with OU and Texas going to the SEC, now USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, it's just kind of a free-for-all right now. It doesn't feel like anybody's in charge. TV networks, money, sponsorships, it's, you know, it's, it's becoming a money-driven, it's almost kind of following the professional model to where uh, it's less about, you know, maybe the student-athlete, less about the individual universities, and, and it's what can we do to generate the most amount of revenue to where each university can benefit 
you know, the, the most as possible. So I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out now that we're essentially going to have two super conferences. Um, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen to the ACC? You know, does the SEC and the Big Ten, you know, try to dip in and take, you know, Clemson, Florida State, Miami? Uh, what's Notre Dame going to do as an independent? How's the Big 12 going to survive? Um, or I guess I should say, how's the Pac-12 going to survive? You know, um, losing USC and UCLA, you know, kind of the two, you know, major status, major logos in that conference in that part of the country. Um, what's it going to look like? Is the Big 12 going to poach, you know, five or six of those schools? So, um, a lot remains to be seen. Um, I'm kind of, I'm not for it. I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm just, just kind of waiting to see you mode right now. The one thing that I hate is that it's the contraction of the amount of teams that matter at this point. You know, right now with the power five, you've got about 65 teams that matter. You know, they have a place at the table, whether the PAC 12 makes more or less money than the SEC, it's, in the same neighborhood. And I think this move just takes it down to about 40 schools that are, you know, the ones that matter. And it relegates the Kansas States and the Iowa States and the Washington States of the world into group of five status, essentially. And maybe they'll have an opportunity to make an expanded playoff, but their revenues are going to be, there's going to be a significant gulf between those schools and what SEC and Big Ten schools are making. And it makes me wonder if fans of those teams may start tuning out or saying we don't care as much just like you know group of five schools are are smaller fan bases and does that in turn make the national audience for college football really just the southeast and the midwest and you know some of those other fans you know stop caring as much because what are they playing for really (laughs) you know fifth place in a expanded playoff it just makes me wonder that we're turning off a lot of fans to college football is it that different than those what those fan bases are right now Possibly, but like the the gulf between Kansas State and Alabama right now is, you know, it's it's wide, but it's going to get even bigger than it is right now. So I I just think it, term, it further and further distances them. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm seeing yet either. Yeah, it, income, it, it, income level, because it, the big the Big Ten, for example, they're looking at if they get the billion dollars that they're expecting for their new media rights deal, they're going to pay out each school a hundred million dollars a year. That's going to be easily double what you know Big Twelve teams will make. It'll be double what, maybe even triple what ACC teams are making. So it just further, and you look at, for example, the Big Ten versus a Mac school right now, like totally not in the same stratosphere, and it's just going to relegate you know some of those Big Twelve remaining schools into more of a relationship that the Big Ten has to the Mac schools right now, just by a money standpoint, what they're able to produce and fund and you know uh, put into their programs. Yeah, but let's be honest, like there's some football programs that should not be in a power five conference and they're just fortunate enough that they are. I mean, mm-hmm. like Kansas has been losing to Mac schools for a while and yet they're still in the Big 12 conference. So I don't think it's the yeah. worst thing in the world that some of these programs maybe are put where they're supposed to. And maybe that sounds mean and harsh and things like that. And I understand it. But like, is is Rutgers going to, I don't know, like there's just some teams in there that probably don't belong with the big guys and like that's okay. So are you going to kick Rutgers and Vanderbilt and even like Kentucky, for example? Traditionally, Kentucky's pretty bad. Are you, are you kicking them out? They're fortunate enough to be in the right conference at the right time, unfortunately. But um, why but, keep them around? They're not huge money-making schools for you. Kick them out, bring in other guys. Because that's just never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, you're not going to kick people out of the conference. That would be a bad precedent. To do start. you guys, do, to kind of tra- transition here, do you guys think that we're on the verge of college football that specific sport within collegiate athletics branching out from the NCAA and, you know, removing themselves from being, you know, uh, from being underneath the umbrella of that, because to me, you're essentially getting to a point, which I guess, you know, you could kind of make the, make the claim with college basketball with a handful of schools, you know, with everything being money driven, it kind of feels like at this point right now with college football, it's going towards where you've got maybe 20 teams that have a realistic chance to win a national championship. You've got probably 10 to 15 teams that are carrying the sport, which is not like unlike anything that we've seen, you know, over the last two to three decades, but it just kind of feels more and more like what you were saying, Adam, you are further eliminating the amount of teams that are relevant, whether it's from a competition standpoint, from a revenue standpoint, from a fan base interaction standpoint. It just kind of feels like now that we're going towards these super conferences, the big 10, the sec, they're going to start picking off, 
the premier fan bases, the premier programs in college football, and then you're going to have just the the rest of them are going to be left out to dry, you know, like your your Arizona's, your Arizona States, Washington States, et cetera. So it's it's very interesting. Um, I'm glad that there's smarter people that are figuring this out because I sure as heck can't. I don't feel like it's going to be that significant. Maybe I'm greatly mistaken, but if you look at like what basically the Pac-12 would have to shift to, I think like per school revenue goes from like 41 to 30. And granted, mm-hmm. yes, $11 million is, is a significant amount. And yes, these other conferences continuing to build these TV contracts that were going to lap these, um, you know, the smaller conferences now. But if you're, if you are a big 12 and you can now put together a 20 team conference that yes, maybe all of the um, main TV viewing areas are relatively small in the grand scheme of things. But if you can put together enough of them, for the revenue to make sense, you stand a fighting chance. And so that's where you look at like a Pig 12, Pac-12 alliance, uh, which is a really funny word to use right now. Um, maybe they stand a chance in this grand scheme of things. They're not going to be making as much, but can they make enough to be relevant once every five years? Probably. There can be a team or two that can come up there and, and fight the battle. We, we do all, I think all of us agree the playoff at some point will expand. I don't think these conferences would be doing this if they don't, if they didn't think it was going to, um, so I don't know. I'm not ready to just completely ride off the ship that this is that significant of a difference than what we're currently dealing with at the moment. Adam, so, let's, Adam, let's talk or go ahead. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go ahead and actually talk about that. I know we had a little bit lower in the lineup, but since it's already, you know, top of mind here, the big 12, there's some uh, announcements on Twitter, I guess, or reporters saying on Twitter, the big 12 is going after six pac 12 schools, basically mm-hmm. your Arizona, Arizona state, Utah, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, leaves Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal out in the dark, which to me I kind of find funny because Stanford and Cal were the two <laughs> ones that really didn't want to partner with any of the Big 12 schools, and they might get shut out by them. But I think that's a decent conference. I, I love that it gives you you know a lot of time zones there and so helps keep some of the regional rivalries together, mm-hmm. adds Utah, BYU, and the Holy War as a Big 12 game. Um, Colorado, I think, is a good matchup for K-State. Um, I know those fans like to go out to to those games. But does that somewhat, like, is it somewhat competitive with the Big Ten and what the SEC has? I mean, I, I think it's decent. It's not great, but it's it's okay, in my opinion. I think it's, it's it kind of keeps the... the has now, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it kind of keeps the Big 12 where they're at right now in the pecking order. Um, you know, you've got the SEC, the Big Ten, you know, ACC and Big 12 are kind of, you know, jockeying for third position, you know, year in and year out. But I, I think if you're the new Big 12 commissioner, I think that with the Pac-12 kind of falling apart right now, losing their two biggest logos uh, to the Big Ten, I think that it makes all the sense in the world to try to go out there, uh, especially with the Pac-12, you know, renegotiating their TV rights right now. This is kind of a, uh, you know, a prime position for, you know, the Big 12 to kind of go in there and try to grab five or six of those SEC or those Pac-12 schools because, guys, Let's face it, losing OU and Texas to the SEC, the Big 12 right now really doesn't have uh, a major brand or a blue blood, which they're not necessarily gaining any of that by poaching, you know, in Oregon, Washington, the Arizona schools, Colorado, Utah, but you do raise the level of competition compared to what you have right now in the conference with bringing in UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, so on and so forth. So uh, if the Big 12, I think, is going to survive and, you know, even thrive in a sense, I think that it does make all the sense in the world for them to go out there and poach five or six of those Pac-12 schools because it does kind of get you into that the, that West Coast market. Um, it allows you to keep some of those rivalries, Adam, and I think it's good for college football if the Big 12 can expand. We're all in agreement Oregon and Washington are not coming to the Big 12, correct? I, I mean, obviously, the they, would much rather, they would much rather be in the Big 10. Now, if does the Big Ten want them? I don't know yet. I think the Big Ten is holding on Notre Dame. You know, they want Notre Dame, and they will do whatever it takes to keep a spot open for them. So, it, it's you're in an interesting position if you're the Big Ten or the SEC at this point because you can take on teams, or you can basically say, you know what, We're good. you're 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 dead. You're like you're going to a Group of Five conference at this point. So, yeah. they can say, yeah, we'll take Oregon. They bring value, or no, we're just going to kill them by essentially not giving them an invite and. It doesn't matter whether they're you know going to steal a few recruits here or there; they'll slowly die out. Yeah, I just don't see that as a, as a likely scenario. That Oregon and Washington, even if they don't get in the Big Twin, Big Ten, I don't see them going to the Big Twelve. I just don't. It doesn't make sense. Um, and I guess you could make the same argument for why 
USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten doesn't make sense, but at least that's like a significant TV market. Um, and it kind of like, I don't know. I just don't see that, guys. I see Arizona and Arizona State being option one. I see CU and Utah being option two. And then a distant mm-hmm. third option, I see Oregon and Washington. I, I just think, and again, not to beat a dead horse, I just think it's funny as hell. Lincoln ran from Oklahoma because he didn't want to play in the SEC. Fast forward six months later, okay, here you go. Here's the Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin every single year and sprinkling a few of those others. So, um, You know that Purdue is the new K-State to him. He's going to lose in uh, in West Lafayette like every time he goes oh, out yeah. there in like mid-November. <laughs> so, yeah. My question to you, Adam, though, is is if, if Big Ten takes on Notre Dame, then who? You have to have if, one more. Yeah, I could Oregon. see. If I was the Big Ten, I would really want UNC and UVA, and, and we'll talk about them in a second. I don't know how the ACC, how they get out of that necessarily. I'm sure they could find some ways, but um, I would be looking east more than I'd be looking west. What are they at 16 right now? They Is that right? Added, yeah, they're at 16. They added two. Yes, so, 16. Yeah, well, at, you get Notre Dame. Maybe you take West Virginia. I don't know. They don't really make sense in the Big Ten, though. So, well, Adam, Missouri. with the Big Ten, ex- with the Big Ten expanding right now, taking away two, you know, the two powerhouses, powerhouse brands from you know from the Pac-12. Well, if you're as this relates to you know OU and Texas being part of the SEC, if you're Greg Sankey right now, what I mean, what do you do? Do you do anything in response to this? Do you try to poach, um, you know, a Clemson, a Florida State, a Miami? Do you try to grow and expand the SEC even more so, or are you happy with the, with what you've got right now? Because it kind of feels like we're getting to a point where you're going to have these two super conferences, and you're just going to start growing the list of teams, um, and kind of you know uh, the SEC already has a huge presence presence in Florida. Um, so Florida State and Miami, those are two teams that you can easily add. Um, and Clemson, you know, being just an hour away from Atlanta, it just kind of makes all the sense in the world. If you're Greg Sankey and you choose to go down this path, those are three really, really good schools that you could add uh, that would just, you know, make the SEC brand even bigger and better. Don't you already have those markets, though? Yeah, I, I don't see why you, you would do. want more Florida schools, really. I mean, Florida State, is, is Florida State really that desirable right I, now? No, but given the the right coach and if they can figure out a way to turn things around, then by absolutely you would want Florida State to be in your conference. Same with Miami, and same with what uh, with what Dabo's doing at Clemson. I, I I believe. But the same thing occurs though. Like it's exactly going back to what we've mentioned. If you're the SEC and you take a Clemson and you leave Florida State and Miami, those mm-hmm. two schools will not be the same moving forward. So it's not like they're eventually going to. It's it's up to the SEC if those schools remain relevant or not, basically. Right. Yeah. And, and with Clemson, yeah, they're, they're good right now and they do fill an 80,000 seat stadium, but they do not have national appeal. They don't have a national audience. So you're not really adding a whole lot there. Greenville is, you know, a great college football media market, but you do have some of that with South Carolina already. Uh, With Florida, you have the university of Florida, obviously Florida state, I think, and Miami both draw some national audiences, but they're going to come in if they are good in the SEC. They're going to start stealing, you know, more recruits from SEC schools. So if I'm the SEC, I'm thinking I'd probably much rather have UNC and one of the Virginia schools, simply because that continues to expand your territory north. And I think it those are both fertile recruiting grounds that I would much rather have. So again, the SEC is in a position where they can say we will choose to let you live or die, and they can say that to Miami and Florida State and Clemson, and say, you know what, screw you, I- we're leaving you in your conference to die. I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of recruiting. It's like, you know, the SEC brand, that's national. You know, that that gets them in all 50 states. So I really don't see the impact of having North Carolina and, you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech. I don't see how those three schools outweigh the pros of bringing in, you know, more of the, the premier programs. You know, outside of Clemson, you know, Florida State and Miami, there's a lot of rich tradition within those schools, a lot of success over the years. So, I think that, you know, I think if I'm Greg Sankey, I would much rather have Clemson, Florida, or, or Florida State and Miami as opposed to the two Virginia schools in Tra- North Carolina. Traditionally, just, Clemson is not that good, though. They've had a good yeah, last I, I decade, said that. but prior to that, they were not, they're not Florida State or Miami tradition-wise. Okay, uh, yeah, so let's, I mean, just, I, let's, just, let's have the data talk here a little bit. Um, looking at the 2020 rankings for college football viewership based on ESPN's numbers, uh, Birmingham, Alabama is one. New Orleans is two. Richmond is three. Louisville, four. ACC team. Interesting. 
don't think just for football you don't take them. But if viewership is the conversation, maybe. But are you already in that area? It's the same argument, I guess, for Florida. Yeah. Uh, Greenville, South Carolina, Knoxville, Greensboro, Charlotte, Memphis, Columbus, Ohio. Not yeah. any that stick out. Richmond is interesting. That seems really high. And so it's deep in the heart of SEC. <laughs> Richmond, Virginia? It didn't actually specify. I wouldn't think so. Hang on. Let me check. Yeah. I guess I look at that and I think, yes, you can get into all 50 states if you're recruiting for the SEC. You're already getting into the state of Florida. You're already getting into the state of South Carolina. You're you're definitely getting into Virginia and North Carolina if you want to, but strengthen that presence and and say, hey, this is we're kind of safeguarding this from the Big Ten with Maryland and what they've got going on, and and saying, hey, here's new territory for us. We're we're taking over. You pick up some good basketball schools in the process, and you say, you know yeah. what? We don't care that Florida State is is a tradition rich program. We don't need that territory. We will just effectively end their program's life by not inviting them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I guess the problem that I have with your argument, Adam, is that you know, c- claiming you know we don't want Clemson because they're not a big enough brand. They don't, you know, they've only recently been good. I mean, Clemson to me right now with Dabo Sweeney with the with the outlook, I think that the, if you put an SEC logo on Clemson's uniform, I think that only strengthens that program. Yeah. I think it only makes it much more of a valuable asset. Whereas you look at a program like North Carolina, yeah, that's a basketball school first and foremost. You know, North Carolina. They rank to me below Virginia Tech, below Clemson in terms of the value that they bring as a football program. So, I mean, if we're being honest, football is the driving force in this expansion talk. Um, so, I, I just I would have Clemson ranked ahead of uh, North Carolina, and I would have Clemson ranked ahead of Virginia, Virginia Tech. You can make a cl- case, I think, for Virginia Tech if you did want to, you know, dive into that state and you know, kind of you know, take hold of that market. In, in the state of Virginia, Virginia Tech, the Hokies, that's a that's a really good one that you would want to have joined. But I just don't see the appeal of Virginia or North Carolina at this point. Yeah, I will say face it, North Carolina easily, hasn't been North Carolina hasn't been relevant football other than Mac Brown becoming the head coach. I didn't I didn't give two shits about North Carolina football until Mac Brown mm-hmm. stepped foot on Yeah, campus. but you also have to consider just as easily as they could say, Well, we will kill Clemson by leaving them stranded on an island you can make North Carolina considerably better at football by just inviting them to the SEC. So there, it's not as easy as it is to end Clemson's program in a sense mm-hmm. um, because UNC has to be committed to being good at football and fan support and everything, but there is a path there as well. Like their boat will rise in the process. And at least with Virginia, you'd have access then to the DC market, which I do think is important. Yeah. So there's at least an automatic like high viewing city that is in that market. That's going to have quite a bit of a fan base. So I mean, guys, it can go a million different directions. I guess a question that kind of shifting directions here, what happens with a school like Oklahoma State? Do they provide any value to an SEC if it expands? So here I am kind of in the same boat as like UNC. I think Oklahoma State's far better in in a lot of different athletic programs, probably overall as a whole better athletically than what <sighs> UNC is. Um, basketball, no, but football, baseball, um, softball is really good right now. Um, wrestling's traditionally very good. I guess they wouldn't go to the SEC. But uh, golf, um, you know, as a whole, Oklahoma State's a very good athletic program. Their fan support is not, you know, what it should be. And I know a lot of OU fans just want to look down and disdain and say, oh, OU has nothing to win. It's a lose-lose scenario when they play OSU. But that is a great rivalry game. There are some fun and exciting games that happen in that rivalry, and it matters in the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It matters when you work and live next to Oklahoma State fans. And I think that's what makes college football so great is that you have your buddies that are constantly annoying you all off season, and then you actually get to go talk smack to them after the game. And when OU steps away from that rivalry, you will have some Texas fans. You'll have some A&M fans around. Arkansas, I don't see as much of a presence in Oklahoma, maybe not here in Oklahoma City, but I'm sure in Tulsa there are, but there's not as many rivalry opportunities that can match what Bedlam is. And so I think that would be a great addition. I think OU fans should be okay with that. I mean, we're in the same conference right now. We're beating them out for pretty much almost any recruit that we want. We're beating them pretty much every year uh, for the most part. So I don't think that we should be, you know, scared or, you know, saying, hey, we want to give them a piece of the pie too, because we're already beating them at that game as it is. 
Well, and I hate to give little brother credit, but I mean, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. Look at some of the other schools in the in the SEC just in terms of football. I mean, starting strictly with Vanderbilt, are you telling me that the SEC wouldn't much rather have Oklahoma State uh, in that conference compared to Vanderbilt? I mean, you know, uh, Mike Gundy, what he's done. I disagree. You disagree? Mm-hmm. In terms uh, of why? Nashville. Nashville? Okay. I mean, yeah, Nashville, Stillwater. <laughs> yeah, you're not, not yeah. only for the city's sake, but simply the viewer's sake. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nashville's more of a volunteer town than a Commodore's town. Agreed, but I still don't. I still don't think you'd want to lose it. I wouldn't trade yeah. that over Stillwater. Yeah. I guess just in terms of product in the football field. I guess in terms of product in the football field, I would much rather. And I think you could probably pull a large majority of the people that would feel the same way. I would much rather watch you know A and M versus A or A and M versus OSU, OU versus Oklahoma State, uh, compared to Oklahoma traveling to to take on Vanderbilt. I mean. Uh, we, we make fun of Kansas uh, in the Big 12, um, unless you're a Texas fan. Vanderbilt's kind of, you know, the the same uh, – gets the same level of mockery uh, from other SEC fan bases. So I, I'm totally in favor. Um, if the SEC does choose to expand um, pretty heavily, you know, maybe pick up four, five, six more teams, uh, I would be I would be in favor of uh, OSU joining the party. Uh, I'm against it. Uh, Adam, I love everything you said from a fan perspective, but rivalries and fan drama conferences don't give a damn. Uh, it's it's about money, who can bring what to the table. And let's be honest, guys, we're 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 praising Oklahoma State, and that and they do have a better program than a Vanderbilt. Um, but what have they done in this conference on the football level in the past decade? They haven't done. Well, much. They came up about six and inches so short be, a year ago. Six Sorry. inches short or three yards short or 50 yards short, it's a loss. Um, and that's yeah. unfortunately the way sports are played. And so I, I don't think it makes sense. They're, as a SEC conference, you're gaining really nothing as far as revenue, um, eyes on television sets. You're not getting a damn thing from adding a school like Oklahoma State. Unfortunately, that's just the truth. Well, and, and that's I think a large part of that is because you've already got the premier program in this state and a blue button in Oklahoma. So you've already Correct. you've already t- uh, dipped your hand uh, into the state of Oklahoma and captured that viewership audience. Oklahoma State, I don't think really is going to add much value in that. So yeah. um, it's, it's a good argument let to me, have. Let me ask you guys, because I do want to just Adam, do you have something on that one? I mean, just the mere fact that it draws so much ire from OU fans that OSU could make it to the SEC is, I think, the exact reason why we should want that because it's it is a good rivalry and the Bedlam itself is a very marketable game. Like, yeah, the rest of the OSU schedule isn't going to do much for TV, but having Bedlam is is worth something. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, Go ahead. I agree overall. Like, I I think it's a very long shot that OSU would be in the SEC. I think. Considering the SEC schedule that's about to come, I don't mind having a Vanderbilt in there from time to time, <laughs> yeah, uh, just same. to give you uh, <laughs> just to give you a week off. But one thing, kind of before we completely transition, Big Ten, SEC, obviously Big Ten adding USC, UCLA, <laughs> maybe more SEC adding Oklahoma, Texas. Who has won the conference alignment shakeup here between those two conferences? SEC. Yeah, I think it's Why? pretty simple. You, The only rivalry you get with USC-UCLA being added to the Big Ten is USC and UCLA. And I don't even think they have a rivalry name. Whereas with the SEC, you get the Red River shootout. You get the renewal of Texas versus Texas A&M. Uh, you get Texas and Arkansas back. Potentially a new one with OU and Arkansas. OU, um, it's just so much it's so much bigger. Every game with OU versus Georgia. Bama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, whoever, same with Texas. Those are huge games. USC will be a good one for the Big Ten, but UCLA does almost nothing. <laughs> well, and ju- just think about this in terms of you know relevancy in the last 10 to 20 years. I mean, how many big-time matchups, whether it's national championships, premier bowl games, non-conference games, OU's gone up against Alabama, Georgia, um, you know, LSU, Texas A&M, you know, so on and so forth. So I really Even think Tennessee. That- even Tennessee. So I think that the SEC, I, I don't think it's even close. Uh, outside of the Big Ten, getting into the largest TV market in the country in Los Angeles, you're not really gaining too much because of the fact that UC, UCLA is the one that's dragging this whole deal down. I think that getting USC is a huge deal if Lincoln Riley can turn that thing around. But um, I, I just don't see the draw of having UCLA. It kind of feels like USC did what Oklahoma didn't do in terms of bringing a little brother uh, to the party. So I, I would rank this just as far as brand 
I'm not talking about success on the field. I'm not like talking about championships. It's Texas, USC, Oklahoma, UCLA. And there's a significant gap between three and four. Are you all in agreement of that as far as who won the biggest brands in that order? Say that order again. Texas, USC, OU, UCLA. As much as it hurts me to say it, I, I think I have to agree with that. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, take the blinders off. Yeah. T- I mean, you t- <laughs> take the blinders off and take away the recency bias. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's a, big, it's a bigger brand. It's a bigger school. USC. Well, I mean, has, let's, let's has be honest. When, bit, but. when when USC had it rolling with Pete Carroll, Liner, Reggie Bush, I mean, that was the, the, they had things going, and LA was booming. So I, I think that that's fair to say. God, I hate saying too, it though. The other thing about this is that OU and Texas are much more natural fits in the SEC. The fan bases are much more similar to them. Um, USC and UCLA. USC is kind of like wait and see, you know, like typical big city you know, sports team, just wait and see if they're good and then show up. Mm-hmm. But those fan bases don't really have much in common with Purdue or Iowa or just any big 10 school, yeah, really a culture clash. <laughs> yeah. Like, like <laughs> Iowa fans are, are great. Like they have a good program. It's not great, but they pack out the stadium and they're, it's a tough place to play. Purdue fans, they show up, they don't really have a whole lot to hang their hat on, uh, but USC and UCLA, like barely put anybody in the stadium. You know who may benefit from this most is is UCLA concession revenue, because the Big Ten's going to travel there every freaking weekend. No well, matter they have who tons of alumni already there that yep. are probably pumped to have a game to go to that's really close. Correct. So instead of playing in like a half, fourth full stadium every home game, it's going to be like what OU did a few years ago, if not yeah. more. Like yeah. a an Ohio State is going to fill the Rose Bowl. Fill Absolutely. It. And so instead of playing a Cal, a Stanford, a Washington State, and it's just like nobody shows up at all, at least then I guess you have away team uh, fans invading your stadium. So Yeah, and think about the teams. Through the roof. Yeah, think about the Big Ten teams that don't normally play in the Rose Bowl, like Michigan State or Purdue or Iowa. Iowa's been there a couple times recently. But those fans will think playing UCLA in the Rose Bowl in the middle of October is just as cool as playing there on January 1st. So a lot of those fans will – look yeah, forward to it's that. a it's a destination trip absolutely yeah yeah for sure same 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 reason why we all went yeah well let's let's transition a little bit um this is not on the rundown but tyler i think we do need to have a length and girth report uh because there have been lots of pictures of <laughs> players in uniforms so give us a, a length and girth report uh well i mean it, it, it's looking good. Adam Schmidt is uh, the, he is definitely getting after it with the guys. I think uh, I knew as soon as it, it dropped on Twitter this morning that Billy Bowman pick went viral. I knew that there was going to be a message headed my way in the group chat that we had to talk about who's going to look good, who's going to be first coming off of the bo- the bus. You haven't seen it yet. I have not. I'm looking it up right now. I mean, between some of the guys' profile picks and Tyler's mustache tonight, I mean, I don't know what I'm more impressed with. Does it get much better? Does it really get much better? I mean, let's, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, what better advertisement for our YouTube channel than Tyler's mustache? (laughs) You guys have to check us out on YouTube. Give us a search. He looks huge, man. Very girthy. I'm looking at this picture of Billy Bowman right now. We do. girth guy. We need like a August Tyler's girth. Uh, of a I need my own award. segment. I need my own segment. Yeah, the the length and girth segment. It's the length and girth report. There you go. Trademark. Girth, I, girth of the year. That's what I think. <laughs> I thought Nick Evers, he uh, tweeted out a picture just before we hopped on here that he looked like he's filled out a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't look like a complete stick. He's got a long way to go still, but he looks like he's. Long way to go. I see what you did there. (laughs) That was unintentional. Um, He looks a lot more like a potential QB too. I know there's, there's been so many guys that have transferred in that he's kind of been forgotten, but who knows? We'll we'll see. Yeah. He's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Recruiting, recruiting. Yeah. Let's talk recruiting. We got a new four star. Um, Is that allowed? Is that okay? I think we should demote him. I think uh, he needs to drop that (laughs) four star. Yeah. Yeah. Phil uh, Picotti, am I saying that right? Does anyone know how to say his name? Sure. Question. I'm going to go. Picotti. I don't know. You have to say it with Picotti. hands. Picotti. Yeah. yeah. There you go. A very Italian. Yeah. 
uh, kind of an unusual recruit. I think the first that OU has pulled out of the Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania in probably over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, he looks like a, a great linebacker, one that's just going to run to the point of attack and just knock you backwards, which is something that we've been desperately wanting from an OU defense. And I think Venables is going to bring that, but this looks like a, a key piece of that, that I think Sooner fans can be pretty excited about, not just because mm-hmm. he's a four-star, but because of what his tape looks like. Yeah, six foot three, two hundred twenty-five pounds. Um, I think Josh labeled him as a heat-seeking missile with some of the things that he's able to do, size, stature, uh, and his speed out on the football field. So yeah, it is a four-star, guys. I'm kind of getting flashbacks to the early two thousands with what our linebacker core looked like with Teddy Lame and Rocky Kalmus. Um, but yeah, telling me going into the twenty twenty-three season, I mean, you're going to have Jaron Canick, uh, you know, Shane Witter, Danny Stutzman. Now throw on this Phil Picotta kid. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really good. It's, we've talked about it for the longest time, you know, Brent Venables, Ted Roof, um, probably not a better destination right now in college football in terms of linebacker coaching than at the university of Oklahoma. So it was a really good pickup for the Sooners and Adam, it sounds like, uh, July, we're just kind of, uh, scratching the surface on what this month is going to bring for the Oklahoma Sooners on the recruiting trail. It'll be interesting guys. Uh, I mean, I hate sounds stereotypical, but this looks like a guy who plays at Penn State for four years and then gets drafted in the first round and has a long NFL career. Mm-hmm. And, and that sounds terrible because he's a white dude from Pennsylvania, and that's what they all look like up there for the most part, except for, you know, but but that that's the feel. And we could use some of those guys, to be frank. And so I think this is a, a heck of a pickup, um, you know, to kind of get that uh, Big Ten grittiness uh, that you always hear about the linebackers uh, up in that area. So uh, nothing but excitement on this one. You mentioned several big commitment announcement dates coming up for OU targets, Tyler. Uh, Caden Green coming up at the end of this week. Uh, Jaquez Petaway. It's very similar mm-hmm. to my last name. There's mm-hmm. so many guys named Jaquez now. I'm, re- I'm reading through all the Athlon Sports Preview magazine, and like, there's so many guys named Jaquez for their first name. It's kind of crazy. but There's only one, Adam. Uh, we know who it there, is. There's only one, and it's a last name. But... Uh, yeah, he's a he's a wide receiver, four star, supposed to be uh, committing this week. You've also got uh, Dalen Smothers, the uh, four star mm-hmm. running back from the Charlotte area. He's committing this weekend. Peyton Kirkland later this month, the offensive lineman. Derek LeBlanc, the uh, I think he's a defensive end or edge rusher uh, at the end of this month, and then uh, PJ Adab Adabawar. I'm still I'm still learning some of these crazy names, but. Uh, that's how people say my name too. But um, <laughs> a lot of guys, a lot of four stars here. And I think there's out of that list, I would say I feel good about, you know, four out of six of them. How, how are you feeling at this point, Tyler? Like optimism better at this point? Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with four out of the six as well. Um, kind of three that I'll be keeping my eye on, you know, especially as Oklahoma transitions into the, into the sec, where's the, where's the biggest difference between Alabama, you know, compared to the Vanderbilts and the full world. It's, it starts in the trenches on both the offense and defensive side of the football. So looking at a guy like Caden green, you know, on the brink of becoming a five-star offensive lineman, a guy that you can, uh, I think it's safe to say has an opportunity if he gets on campus, uh, you know, if he is an early enrollee, I think that's a plug and play guy uh, in year one, which I know that that's going to be a big deal because I think a lot of fans expect us to lose Wanya Morris and Anton Harrison to the NFL uh, starting here uh, going into the 2023 season. So Caden Green's number one for me, Peyton Kirkland, uh, not, not the, the most confident in the world. It kind of seems like Florida is where that uh, is where that recruiting battle is going to end up at. But I think Derek LeBlanc, which we've seen multiple forecasts, multiple um, crystal balls for that guy, uh, four-star defensive lineman. You can never have too many big guys on the defensive side of the football rotating in and out. So uh, if Oklahoma can figure out a way, Beanboat can close things out with Caden Green, Todd Bates can get Derek LeBron on uh, Derek LeBlanc, excuse me, on campus here in Norman. Um, that's that's a very very good sign for this team. Uh, 2023. Well, we're still kind of waiting to see this class take shape. I know that we've got eight or nine guys committed right now. 2024 kind of feels like that'll be where we really start to see the impact that Venables and this the rest of this coaching staff can have um, once they start to put product on the field. But um, you'd have to think if you can land four or five out of those six guys, that's a very very good haul for this for this coaching staff. Uh, and it's, it gives us a lot of momentum going into the season. You just need some momentum, guys. I think that's what this thing has been missing for a while. So if you combine potentially a big July, start getting mm-hmm. the word out there like, hey, 
not as many spots left. Like kind of start playing that card. You go with that along with Jackson Arnold winning the Elite Eleven competition last week. There's some mm-hmm. momentum on the offense side of the ball. Come play with the Elite Eleven winner. This is the kind of stuff that you need that goes completely against everything we discussed last week as far as kind of what's been dragging down the recruiting. So if you can get string a couple of these together this weekend, this week, um, then all of a sudden you, the the wheel can start turning in a positive direction. Yeah, certainly a long way to go to be out of the woods, in my opinion. But I think there's definitely a lot of positive momentum here. You definitely don't want to lose Caden Green last minute to Missouri. I think that has some OU fans a little bit nervous at the moment. We'll find out pretty soon on him. But, um, you know, as the season goes on, if OU can put out a good performance this year, I think that's going to make me feel a lot better because I don't want to be going through the same scenario scenario a year from now. That would be very worrisome if we're pulling in tons of three stars at this point next year again. So definitely don't want to see a repeat of that. So anything else on recruiting before we jump into the next segment here? No, okay. no, I, I don't really have anything else. It's going to be a big month. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, certainly hope so. So Corbin set us up here with our Mount Rushmore segment. Yeah, for uh, anybody you know who's been listening to us for a while, we, we circle back to Mount Rushmore uh, every now and then, basically um, picking our top four of whatever we want to discuss. And so for the next few weeks, I think we're going to do some position group work um, as far as you know who would we pick uh, in, in a snake draft order, basically, as our top running backs. And everything that uh, we'll do as far as position groups are concerned will be since 2000. So for anybody out there that's looking for us to pick 60s, 70s, and 80s players, it ain't happening. Uh, so we're going to go 2000s on. Uh, we randomly selected an order from Tyler who put himself first. So weird how those things play out. Tyler, lead us off. Give us a big shock here of your number one uh, Sooner running back since 2000. God, this is such a tough one. I don't know which direction I want to go here. Um, but I guess I guess I'll just go with greatest running back maybe in college football history. Definitely greatest running back in OU football history. I'm going to go with uh, with A.D., uh, all day Adrian Peterson with the number one overall pick. So I think that that pick alone is good enough to win the Mount Rushmore. No. Go ahead, Adam. Pr- pretty easy. This is tough. <laughs> I think number two is actually the hardest pick uh, in the draft. I, I'm i not the biggest DeMarco Murray fan, but I will pick him here. He has the overall production. I mean, overall leader in touchdowns with 50. He had 3,600 rushing yards in his career, but what separates him is what he was able to do receiving. Over 1,500 yards Mm -hmm. receiving, 13 touchdowns through the air. Just a a pretty dynamic player, and I think he doesn't get as much credit because his running style just didn't look very fast. Mm -hmm. But, uh, man, just an overall productive guy over across four years, so i got to go with uh, DeMarco. So this is the the fun part about Mount Rushmore is we never really discuss what qualifies our picks. And so one of us can make the argument that like, you know, take like a Rodney Anderson, for example, amazing in his time. He was healthy, terrible mm-hmm. career. Let's be honest. So for, so interesting to kind of see how the rest is going to play. Cause I think first round is pretty, pretty easy going forward is going to be interesting. But uh, for me, uh, my number one pick is Joe Mixon. Uh, the, the time frame was short. But his the best of what Joe could do is up there, I think, with anybody in the past two decades. Um, and so obviously some off the field issues. But when that guy was on, really, really solid. Uh, this is where I think it all starts to get lost for me. Um, it's heading into round two. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy who I just mentioned, actually. I actually think Rodney Anderson, when healthy, was one of the best backs that we've had here. Um, especially looking at like the best of like him at K-State uh, early on in the Georgia game and, and Rose Bowl. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Uh, the TCU game, the top six matchup, amazing. So I'm picking guys where I think when they're at their best, this is where I'd have them. For me, that's actually Rodney Anderson in round two. Yeah, so this is where I kind of go and say, hey, who do I pair with DeMarco Murray in my backfield? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a great receiver, a great speedster, but I need some thunder in the lineup. So I'm going to go with Samaje Perrine, who has <laughs> Samaje over 4,000 yards rushing. I believe he's the all-time leader uh, among OU running backs and 49 touchdowns in just mm-hmm. three years of work. So um, hard to – I mean – was he flashy? No, but he absolutely ran dudes over in college. So um, I think that's a pretty pretty easy pick. I got a lot of touchdowns in my top two. 
Having back-to-back picks here to close out the second and start the third round, I'm actually surprised that this guy lasted this long. Uh, I'm going to go all the way back to the 2000 National Championship team, a guy that I don't think gets enough respect uh, for his performance in the Crimson and Cream in a Sooner uniform. I'm going to go with Quentin Griffin uh, for my second pick on the Mountain Rushmore, a guy that, like I said, won a national championship. Um, Very, very thankful that Bob Stoops burned his redshirt year when he did. Uh, one of the kind of unsung heroes of that national championship team. So I got Q, I got Q uh, with my second pick. Uh, hold pick hold number- on, Tyler. I gotta I gotta I gotta interject here. He burned his red shirt in 1999, which means Ooh. he was not on the 2003 team. Which certainly he would have helped there. Well, they won the national title in 2000. They did, but you're saying uh, he burned his red shirt. I guess. Or I guess you're saying he you wanted him to get experience ahead of the 2000 team. Yeah, I guess I guess basically maybe I misspoke there, Damon Adam. But yeah, okay. I got well, I mean, that, that makes sense, I guess. <laughs> yeah, let's head to pick number three here. I could honestly go a few different ways here. I feel like you know the the cream of the crop is kind of off of the board now. Um, I think in this one, do I want to go production or do I want to go impact with the ball in his hands? Um, I'm actually going to go Ramondre Stevenson. With this pick nice. here at number three, um, number twenty nine, you could you could flat out see the difference in this Oklahoma offense once he came back from that suspension in his last year. The level of production that he had, uh, not just individually, but the uptick in production that the entire offense had when you had twenty nine on the field. So I'm uh, I'm going to throw Ramondre in there, pick number three for me. Interesting pick. I. Uh... Got my two and my three, and now I'm going to get my number four, which is Kennedy Brooks, oh, another guy that I thought wouldn't you. last this long. 3,300 3, uh, career rushing yards, 31 touchdowns. All he did was rush for 1,000 yards every year and basically 10 yards of carry. So uh, productive with three different quarterbacks of different mm-hmm. talents with three pretty different offensive lines. Uh, <clears throat> guy was amazing. Um, it's just what he was able to do with so many different personnel around him and a mm-hmm. coach that quit. Yeah. So you got Kennedy Brooks, number three for you, Adam. Yep. Okay. Corbin, round it out, man. Uh, yeah, this is tough. Um, man, there's like 15 different names I probably could do. And they're all basically the same at this point. All <laughs> well, all, all, my top seven uh, all, all went in order just like that. So there yep. you go. Uh, give me Chris Brown. That's who nice. I'm going to go uh, go next. Yep. Uh, uh, talk about a guy who was underrated. Uh, had had big name backs in front of him, but was Mr. Consistent. Very very much, I, I guess slightly different, but very much in the realm of kind of how I, I view Kennedy Brooks. Um, I can kind of like see those guys interchangeable, just steady, doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Not overly flashy, but it, they just consistent production. So that'll be my pick number three. And golly, guys. Um Give me, uh, give me Damian Williams pick four. Damn it! Yeah, uh, <laughs> a guy getting there. The the his time at OU as a whole, a lot of question marks. But man, when he played well, he mm-hmm. was really really good. So one of the one of the yeah. greatest OU Texas highlights that ninety five oh, yeah. yard run that he had. So Super Bowl yeah. champion and probably should have been MVP. Right. Yeah, oh, playoff not too shabby. Adam, guess, who you got uh, number four here? I'm up. Oh, this, it gets so tough because it's hard to distinguish, you know, between several of these guys. I think, I think I will go with Alan Patrick. 1,900 yards, yeah. 14 touchdowns, and about a year him. and a half of work. He led the backfield in in most of 06 at the second half of that season. And then in 07, he shared the rock with Chris Brown and uh, DeMarco Murray as well. So he never had to carry a full load. But, man, he was good. He Out of nowhere, he was really good for this mm-hmm. OU team when they needed someone there. So That's uh, who I was battling with. Was, yeah, I, uh, I didn't even I, – yep. God, I totally forgot about that guy. 23. I'm going to add him on there as well. One of the greatest spin moves in college football history that got called back against a and yes. in 06 too. Yes, fantastic. Uh, pick number four for me. Got two more guys here. Uh, I guess it's okay if I say the two guys here. We'll have have some honorable mentions, but I'm kind of between Trey Sermon. Who is your fourth? Who is your fourth? When you establish your final? Well, that's I'm between I'm between two guys here. I'm between (laughs) Trey Sermon and Brennan Clay. Um, If I'm starting a team tomorrow, I'm probably going to want Trey Sermon 
uh, ahead of Brennan Clay. So, yeah, let me go with number four, Trey Sermon. I think a guy that ultimately if he, if he had a chance to stay healthy, if Jay Bulware wasn't the quarterback, if Jalen Hurts wouldn't have came in, um, but I think that uh, Trey Sermon finishes out his his career in Oklahoma, at Oklahoma. So, uh, yeah, uh, give me T.S., uh, the preach. Give me Trey Sermon, number four. 2,000 yards and 22 touchdowns as a Sooner. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, but when you think, I mean, I just just had Brennan Clay. Keith Ford was another one on there, if it really got into the weeds. Yeah. Jeremy Calhoun. I specifically (laughs) did not put him on the list. (laughs) There you go. I had uh, had a whole bunch of guys. I had Dom Whaley. Josie Jr.? Jesse yeah. Jr., yeah. How about Ronaldo Works, 1,500 yards? I did. I had Keywan Jones yeah. on it, though. Add Keywan Jones on my list. Oh, that's a good one. That's he had a one. ton of production. 2,300 yards, 36 touchdowns, but I don't think he ever averaged more than like 4.2 yards a carry, so I just couldn't yeah. I couldn't pick that. <laughs> I had some I had some weird ones. I had uh, Abdul I had Adams. Ledger. Uh, I did not have Abdul Adams. I had Alex Ross on there really low. Uh, I didn't Is he still playing at Syracuse? Uh, Abdul or Alex? <laughs> I think Abdul's got on what, yeah. like his eighth year of eligibility. He's, yeah, Probably. who knows? <laughs> I had, and Roy Finch was my last one. I was yeah. like, you know, explosive guy. Never did much. But there you how, go. How about a little wild card? I, I didn't feel right picking this guy, but to shard choice, 3,400 yards, 41 touchdowns in college. Most of that at Georgia Tech. Yeah, <laughs> now coaching at Texas. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So there's, a, there's a deep cut for you. Well, I guess I can, put Troy, I can put Troy Aikman on my quarterback one here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep this series going, uh, working through a couple different position groups leading up to the start of football season. And man, we who just, do we want next week? Let's announce on the pod who what, what position group we want next week. I, I think we should do receivers just for the depth of guys that we can throw on there. Quarterbacks is kind of limited. We may not have to do four picks for quarterbacks. TK, maybe we open up the years a little bit. I don't know. That's I tough feel like you, you can get twelve. That's different era. There. You'll have to go to second, I, third string, but yeah, you can get twelve quarterbacks. My second pick, years. Joey Halsley. Yeah, Cody, <laughs> little Cody Thomas, little little TK nine action. Yeah, there there's enough go. in there. Yeah, I mean, well, Booty's like, on the table though. That's all I got to say. He hasn't played it down, but he is on the table. Well, he's first. He's first team all name. Yeah, so, that's right. So what we should do quarterbacks next week then? While we're yeah, who knows? Good yeah. either way. Yeah. Stay in the backfield. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So next right. week, quarterbacks. Make sure to uh, subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, find us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod, and of course on YouTube to check out uh, Tyler's mustache or or lack thereof. So uh, appreciate everyone listening, and we will see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline.